Hello from the California Lawyers Association Annual Meeting 2018 in San Diego, California. I'm Lawrence Coletti. And I'm Cynthia Elkins. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. So our continuing coverage of the CLA annual meeting is uh, it's commencing, still continuing. And I have a wonderful guest. We did a little pregame here, Cynthia Elkins. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So before we get started, because we've got a really interesting topic today, I want to get your bio. Where do you work? What do you do? I'm a sole practitioner. My practice is in Woodland Hills, California. I am an employment attorney representing defense side management only. And in California, that keeps me busy. So uh, during our pregame here, when we were talking about your uh, your presentation topic, you said that which you don't know will get you sued. What are we talking about? Well, today we're going to talk about independent contractors and the perils of misclassification, which is a very hot topic right now. So this comes straight from your, and this is the, the title of your presentation uh, here at the CLA Annual, Independent Contractors, the Perils of Misclassification. Yes. All right, so let's get the 50,000 foot. Well, here in California as I'm sure other places throughout the United States, certain workers want to be classified as independent contractors and not be a W-2 employee. And for some business models, that makes sense. And California is not particularly friendly to that concept. And most recently, there's been a Supreme Court decision that sort of turns that whole relationship upside down. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like I do know, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with some businesses uh, in my past as a consultant, and a lot of times businesses want to try out a new role, and so they'll hire, uh, you know, an independent contractor to kind of get started. Sometimes that transitions into a permanent role where they bring them on full time. But uh, you know, why uh, why does a, an independent contractor want to be an independent contractor? Well, from a, a lot of perspectives, I think that the independent contractor and the the hiring entity want it to be on an independent contractor basis because it's either separate and apart from from what the core business is and that it provides either a, a specialty for the employer or for the hiring entity to have somebody come in that just has a particular area of expertise that they don't need on a regular basis. And from the worker's perspective, it gives them flexibility. They may have the opportunity to have a full-time job during the day and then do some freelance work on the nights and the weekends that's still within their same field, but it gives them flexibility because a lot of entities don't want their workers to have multiple W-2 type jobs. Gotcha, gotcha. So now a lot pivots on this. I mean, there's a lot of consequences and a lot of business structure built in to whether or not somebody's a W-2 or a 1099. And so let's get into that. So let's talk about the employee versus the independent contractor. The How do you classify? Well, the classification to, to some extent depends upon what agency you're looking at, which laws you're looking at. For the most part, we're dealing with the Labor Code, the Industrial Welfare Commission's wage orders, and then every agency has their own definition. Like in the workers' comp world, in that aspect or that section of the Labor Code, they have a slightly different definition. The Industrial Welfare Commission, which regulates the wages and hours here in California, their wage orders have a different definition. The Labor Code has a slightly different definition. The National Labor Relations Board has a different definition. IRS has a definition. So you're dealing with this multitude of agencies and laws that are all similar but have some nuances that could change the dynamic of the definition. This is equally confusing, it sounds like, to the employer and also the worker. I mean, whether they're a W-2 worker or a 1099 worker. I would say that it's more confusing from the 
hiring entity standpoint. Um, I don't use the word employer because that does connotate the, an employee-employer relationship. So when you're dealing with an independent contractor, it's the principal and and then the contractor. When it's an employee relationship, it's employee-employer. So I represent management and I get calls on a really regular basis now, especially after this new court decision, as to what to do with their workers in terms of can we continue to have them on a 1099 independent contractor basis? And to a great extent, the answer is no, which really is so contrary to the way they have their business model set up. And particularly in this remote access world that we have, people don't have to be in the same work site, the gig economy, the delivery drivers, the Ubers, the Lyfts, the Grubhub, you know, those type of structures, it just, those are set up with a business model that they're contractors. And it's unlikely that that's going to continue. Well, you know, when we were talking, I, you know, I was surprised. Um, there was a lot I didn't know, especially in terms of, like, you know, California laws being a little bit different than some of the other states in the, uh, in the union, in the United States. And so what I wanted to do was, uh, let's just talk about, in terms of California, because this is the uh, California Lawyers Association, Let's talk about the attributes of being an employee W-2. Well, for the for the worker to be a W-2 employee, you get the benefits. So you're going to be entitled to paid sick leave. You're going to be entitled to, if the company has it, paid vacation. You, If you're working for a company that has a 401k or stock options. Um, so there's some security behind that. And then there's a presumption of a continuing relationship, albeit we're an at-will state, so there's no guarantees of long-term employment. But there's some level of continuity and security for the worker to know that they have a job and that they have these benefits built into being an employee. All right, let's contrast that with the 1099 independent contractor attributes. Well, the 1099, those that want to work as, I'll call them freelancers or independent contractors, they like that from the standpoint it gives them flexibility. They can work when they want. They can work where they want. They're not constrained to have to do something um, under the guise of a supervising employer. Um, they can work for multiple entities at the same time. They can do a variety of different things, and it probably gives them some flexibility in terms of the way they financially manage their lives. But at the same point in time, going back to the employee, they would also be entitled to, let's say, health insurance through the company. You know, as an independent contractor, you're going to have to get your own insurance. You're not covered by workers' comp. So so there's these balancing attributes and negatives, and, and it's up to the worker and the hiring entity to know which their business model fits. All right, so a follow-up on that is that uh, the employer or uh, the principal, you know, someone that's hiring someone to do work, um, from the outset, how do they need to govern their behavior to create the proper relationship, the one that they're aiming for? Let's start with the employee-employer relationship. Well, from an employee-employer relationship standpoint, you're looking at is the person going to be working for you regularly? Do, are they going to be working on-site or remotely? And, and that's not a key factor. Under the, the old principles that have always been um, in place, there is an absolute presumption that the relationship is one of employer-employer. It's a rebuttable presumption, but under the labor code, there is a presumption that the worker is an employee. So you have to go with that premise, and if you want it to set the relationship up as an independent contractor, you have to go backwards from that rebuttable presumption and figure out how it can work. And so an employee is going to be someone who is coming to work every day. You basically have a contract of employment. Um, you're under the direction and control of the employer. You're getting paid either a, a salary or an hourly rate. 
and you take direction and, and, and control. So under the, the prior test, which was under the case of the SG Borello and Sons uh, versus Department of Industrial Relations, which has been the longstanding test, the, the right to control the manner and means by which the worker performs their work was the primary factor. And now under the new Dynamex decision, that is no longer the primary factor. So you have to start with the presumption that these people are employees, the workers are employees, and if you want to structure it as independent contractors, you have to backpedal. Okay, gotcha. I gotcha. So let's talk about that case. Let's talk about the Dynamex Operations West versus Superior Court. That is a recent um, California Supreme Court decision. It was a case that started... The underlying case was Lee versus Dynamex. Um, it was pending for over eight years, possibly longer. I, I can't remember the origination. But the underlying case was premised upon a question of whether the delivery drivers were independent contractors and they sued to, deter- to assess that they were misclassified and should have been employees. And this was a, a presented on a class action basis. That case was brought under the Industrial Welfare Commission wage orders and that definition of employee versus employer. Under the wage orders, an employee is one who is, quote, suffered to work. An employer is one who is who permits that person to work. So suffer and permit are the two key phrases here. So under the Dynamex decision that went up to the California Supreme Court and the decision was issued on April 30th of 2018, the test is now called the ABC test. And the difference now is that there are three very definitive questions that have to be answered in the affirmative to all three. Previously, under the Borello test, where it was a right-to-control test, it was six or seven factors that were weighted factors. Not one of them was determinative, and you had to basically do the weighing test in terms of which one, on, on which side of the test does it prevail. But now this ABC test, as it's being called, is very definitive. So A is the worker is free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work, both under contract and in fact, because it's one thing to have an agreement and then reality could be something else. So it's contract and fact. Um, Part B of the test is the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. And C is the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business. And those, again, have to be ands. So you have to affirmatively be able to meet all three of those tests to be able to prevail on the independent contractor analysis. And under this new decision, it's going to be an incredibly uphill battle and a difficult burden to meet to be able to meet those tests. Part B is the one that's particularly difficult to establish. That's going to be the hurdle for most companies. Well, so now that we've got, got a new test in California, you know, what are the consequences for this? I mean, my understanding was that there was some debate as to whether or not this new decision would enact retroactive enforcement or prospective enforcement. Right. The, the court's decision was silent on the retroactive application of it or whether it would apply prospectively. Normally, when new law is made by a court decision, it's going to be applied prospectively if it's new law. If it's an interpretation of existing law, then it's going to be applied retroactively. Here, the court was silent on this issue. A petition for rehearing was denied, so the court did not go back and give us any clarification or guidance on that. Subsequent to this case, there was a decision in July of this year 
out of the Orange County Superior Court, and that court, at a trial court level, decided that it the Dynamex decision should be applied retroactively, asserting that because the Supreme Court did not state its decision applied only prospectively, the lack of such a pronouncement suggests that the decision should be applied retroactively. And so the Orange County Court decided to apply it retroactively. The problem with this is it's catching everybody off guard. We've had no opportunity as an employer or as counsel for employers to anticipate or prepare for this decision. So arguably as of April 30th of this year, the people that were classified as independent contractors possibly didn't meet that test. And now it's a matter of how to change things. So do you think the sharing, the the gig economy played a role in some of that decision making? Well, I think that it was a surprise that the decision came down this way in light of the fact of the gig economy and the new business models that so many companies have that I think that there was a sense in the anticipation of this decision that it would not have been this restrictive, that it would have taken into consideration the gig economy and and the sharing economy that to meet these three tests is just not going to be the business model of that new sort of generation of of how businesses operate. So this could have a, I mean, potentially it could impact businesses like Uber and uh, Lyft and, and those kind of companies, do you think? Absolutely. Um, there are cases throughout the United States that are pending um, where Lyft, Uber, Grubhub, and several other entities are being sued on this very issue in terms of the, the, the gig economy, the concept of are they employees, are they not. A couple of years ago, FedEx was sued that their delivery drivers were misclassified as independent contractors, and that decision came down in favor of the driver being an employee. They drive a company truck that, well, they were, they had to buy their own trucks, I believe, or lease their trucks, but they had the FedEx logo on it. They had to wear the FedEx uniforms. They used all of the FedEx equipment. So that was probably a little bit more clear cut in terms of that decision. But now with people who drive for Lyft and Uber and Grubhub and some of these other deliveries, if it's not a traditional delivery service, I think that the business model is going to change. So, you know, when we were talking earlier in the pregame and we were discussing some of the changes that were coming up, my mind, my uh, my legal mind went to tax liability. It went to liability for other things, you know, uh, agency partnership kind of stuff. You know, you start, the mind starts spinning. And so who's liable for what? Overtime. And so uh, if you suspect that your business might be in the crosshairs of this new decision. So uh, I don't know if you've noticed on the streets, probably the electric scooter business where people go and rent it. I, one of my neighbors actually recharges those at night as kind of a little side hustle uh, that he does. So he's got, uh, I think it's like three that he runs out to his truck and then he goes and puts them out onto the street. And uh, so probably a business kind of in that gig economy thing where this is somebody with their own time, kind of on their own, you know, dime or whatever goes out and does this. But if you suspect that you're one of these scooter companies and you might be in the crosshairs of that, what questions should they be asking? Well, they have to go back to this ABC test and really look at it in terms of is the worker that's performing the services an integral part of their business? Um, Going to a more traditional analysis for law firms, there's a lot of small law firms and, and solo practitioners who hire contract attorneys to do certain of their work. You know, I may contract out somebody to make my court appearances for me or write a, a motion for me. 
and I would pay them previously as an independent contractor, they their business is either their own law firm or they have a business of being a contract attorney. Well, now under this new analysis, I probably have to put them on my payroll because they are an attorney, they're writing a motion, they're appearing in court for me. That's an integral part of my business. With my law firm, I if I want to hire a, a company to update my website, that's an independent contractor because I give them the basic parameters of here's what I want it to look like, here's the content that I want to have, and they present to me a finished product. So that's an independent contractor. So companies have to take a step back and say, what is it that these workers are doing for me, and are they truly outside the integral scope of what my business is. And if you can say definitively yes to that and then answer the other two questions, then you might be okay. But again, it depends upon who's looking at it. So I have one more substance question. We, we had addressed earlier some of the uh, agencies that are in, uh, that have historically enforced this area of law, the contractor versus, or I'm sorry, the independent contractor versus the employee status. And say we talked about IRS, we talked about employment development department, you know, there's the U.S. Department of Labor and the Fair Labor Standards Act. And so as the law rebalances itself in California, you know, who are going to be, do you predict will be the big enforcers of this? Well, I think that there's a variety of areas. I mean, I think the primary one is absolutely going to be from the plaintiff's bar and the workers who feel that they've been misclassified and denied the benefits or they're going to say, you know, I should have been an employee and I want to be part of the 401k and I want to be part of the stock options and I want my overtime and I want um, the protections that employment provides to me. So I think that this will end up in a lot of civil litigation. I personally haven't seen it yet, but I'm anticipating that there's going to be a wave of this. Maybe the plaintiff's bar was taking a wait and see situation to see if the legislature was going to take a, an affirmative position on this, but they haven't for this session. Um, so I think the wave is going to be civil litigation, and that's going to come up in terms of minimum wage, overtime, miss meals, miss break, the penalties that are associated with wage statements, things of that nature. From an agency standpoint, I anticipate that the Employment Development Department is going to start to conduct audits, um, targeting employment situations to say this person was misproperly classified as an independent contractor you haven't paid into the edd system so they'll get hit with the taxes and penalties associated with that arguably workers comp carriers could go into this and and if they do an audit and make a determination that the workers should have been employees that they're going to hit the employer the the hiring entity with a premium audit well, we're just about out of time, but before we close it out, uh, Cynthia, if our listeners want to reach out, contact you uh, based on what they heard today, how can they find you? Uh, they can contact me um, through my email. I do have a website. The website is www.employer-law.com, and my email address is my first initial and last name at the same extension, so it's clkins at employer-law.com. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guest, Cynthia Elkins, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please find us and rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.